Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Amen. Who loves the Bible? Come on, I love the Word of God. I love the Word and I love the presence in worship. If we only had teaching without worship, we would get a bit dry. And if we only had worship without the solid word, we we would just get a little bit weird because we need foundations to build a building. Amen? Or else you go off in all kinds of leaning towers directions. But tonight we are having uninterrupted worship. Did you get your little invitation when you walked in? So for those who love just the soaking atmosphere of worship, tonight, an hour or so of uninterrupted, hour and a half, as the Lord leads, six hours, seven hours. Come for half an hour if you want to. Come for the hour. Come for the whole night. You can sleep here. You're welcome. If you get permission from my wife. Tonight, the next Sunday night, soaking worship. Amen. All right. I think I've covered all that. Terry, is that okay? You're good. As long as you're doing happy with that. We're going to read a beautiful passage of Scripture this morning. Are you ready? Can we, just, can we stand up before we read? I know. I, just, I know you've just sat down. Brian, I saw that look in your face. It's like... St- <laughs> Rain... It's okay. You'll sit in a moment. I just, can we, can we, those who can stand, if you can't stand and you're not well or, you know, or if you've got troubles in your life, then kneel. <laughs> can you just pray off to me? Father God, bring the correction, bring the encouragement from your word that I need in my life. Open up my heart, open up my ears to receive, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we take our seats, uh, this might end up being a two-part. Never underestimate the impact made in the world by one person. You know that? Never underestimate... The impact, which should be my first point, thank you, in the world by one person. I mean, just think of it. If your mom had never been born, how different your life would have been. <laughs> and, and I mean, seriously, if you'd never been born, how different... The world around you that you take for granted right now, because you've got a child there, and a child there, and the family there, and friends here, church here, commitment here, none of that would be as it is exactly as it is right now if you just took you out of the equation. Isn't that a weird thought? If you'd never been born, how different, hey, Olivia, Mark might not be sitting here. 
Might be still in the pubs. I don't know. Just a joke. But seriously, think about the impact of one person's life. Now, now spiritually, that's also true. If you, if you, and I'm not just talking about the big guns like the Billy Grahams and the, you know, the Oral Robertses and the, and the, you know, all the all the big names out there. Charles Finney and John Wesley. I'm talking about the everyday believer who's salt and light where God has put them. One person makes a difference. One person makes a difference. And it's into this context I want to share a story from John chapter 4. And it starts in verse 1. There's a bit of an introduction. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was going, gaining more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. Fake news. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back again to Galilee. And now he had to go through Samaria. Uh, this is kind of just a backdrop to Jesus. Not, you know, pick your battles. Get into fights that are worth it. And this wasn't one. He just said, uh, come guys, let's, there's other work to go do. And then it throws in this strange little scripture. Because now, now, now the, the, they, were, they left Judea and we're going to go to Galilee. And it says he had to go through Samaria. But Samaria is not the shortcut if you look on the map. But that, he had to. Just think about that. He had to. He, you know, there's sometimes Jesus had to. And one of the things he had to is he had to bring the message of the gospel to a fallen planet. We say, no, well, I only do, do the things I want to. No, no, Jesus had to. You know, there's sometimes you just, you, you, you constrain, you compel. There's a, something in you that's not just want to, it's, it's a have to. And, and this is the background to, to a conversation that's about to take place. So he came into this town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the ninth hour. Sixth hour. Good, everybody reading with me. That's nice to know. Thanks, Stevie. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now you must know there's huge barriers here. There's a social norms barrier, which is men don't speak to women on their own. There's a racial barrier, which is Jewish and Samaritan. There's religious barriers of the Jews believe they're inferior and the uh, superior and the, the Gentiles inferior, or the Samaritans in this case. And then there's the moral difference, a righteous and a sinner. So you've got all these barriers to overcome, but this is like just one day in the life of Jesus. Comes across this woman, and he asks her a favor. Look at this. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me a favor for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Isn't that interesting? 
that flip back, Steve, to blank. Isn't that interesting that Jesus asks a favor, gets a conversation going? I don't even think Jesus was in like, okay, what are those six evangelism questions I had to learn at discipleship on Monday night? It's more like he's just going about his daily life, and part of that, he wasn't afraid to ask somebody a favor. You know, that's a good thing to do sometimes. People respond better to favors than if he'd gone to the world and said, oh, lady over there, I'm the Christ, you're a Samaritan, bring me some water. I don't think that conversation would have got off on the same foot. I say there, lady, do you believe in hell? Well, bring some water over here and quench my thirst. Wasn't going to get off to the same question. Jesus simply asks a favor. Sometimes that's all you've got to do to get a conversation going. Hello? You just ask somebody a favor, just an everyday or a question. The Jews had defined themselves by who they were separate from. Just part of the Jewish culture. Jesus comes to break these barriers. He ignores her hostility and her religious arguments. Because even though she starts now with, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan, and why should you ask me? This is not the time to take the bait. You know? You start a discussion, and immediately it gets controversial. But Jesus answers her. <laughs> this is a much better approach. If you knew the gift of God, verse 10, and who it was, who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now he's stirring her curiosity. Thank God for the Holy Spirit that he's talking about. She hasn't found out about it yet. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Recording can continue, thank you. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also the sons of his flocks and herds. You know the history of the Samaritans, they were half Jewish, half other nations, but they had linked into the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob thread, and then Ishmael came in later, etc., etc. Okay, sorry, little diversion. Verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He just says it as it is. This must have stirred a curiosity beyond belief. Because now one minute he's asking for water, then he's telling her about a water that will never run out. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God. I often say this. Christianity isn't difficult. It's impossible. Christianity is based on the living, leading encouragement of the Holy Spirit's fellowship in my life, on my life. The Holy Spirit on me for you. The Holy Spirit in me for, for me. The Holy Spirit at work. Living water. Water that never runs out. Jesus didn't come to bring a new addition to the religion of Judaism. He came to completely blow religion out the water and bring in a whole new covenant based on the Holy Spirit living inside of people never to leave you, never to depart from you again. Holy Spirit who's not offended. Of course, he, He's grieved like a parent 
it when we do things that are stupid. And of course, when we go the opposite way to his leading, we were resisting him. But he's promised to never leave or forsake. The Holy Spirit's come to abide. He's in me. He's in you. The only thing that needs to happen is that we become aware of him. Okay, I went off a little bit there. Okay. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Maybe a bit of a sarcastic twinkle in her eye. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now what is going on here? Is Jesus just completely changing the topic? Is he now fed up talking about water? He wants to give her marriage counseling? No. He recognizes there's no comprehension non comprehendo, of what he's talking about. So he changes text in a way to say, okay, so you as a young lady going through life thinking, oh, all my desires and all my satisfaction will be met when I meet Mr. Wright and I'll be in love until our dying death. And it didn't happen like that. And then you married again and thought, I know, if only I got married to that person. I made a mistake with that person. But if that person, then I'll be truly happy because that one was, was ugly and nasty and selfish. But that one is generous and handsome. And, he, and you got married to that one. Only to find out he was handsome and generous to 20 other women. So then you ended up looking for number three. And then you thought, ah, to blazers. I have married for love in the past. Now I'm just married for money. And you married a rich man. And you know where that got you. So you look for number four. Hello? Are you getting the picture? You were thirsty. You were hungry. And you thought these things would satisfy that. But God's satisfaction is a different kind of satisfaction. It's a satisfaction of the soul. Because it's not the crisis that's the problem. The problem is that the crisis draws us away from the one who can satisfy us. God alone, through Jesus Christ, by giving us the Holy Spirit, meets the deep thirst of the soul. And you've looked in this place and it wasn't there. And you've looked in addictions and it wasn't there. And you've looked in making a fortune, it wasn't there. And you've looked in this prestige situation and it wasn't there because like the apostle Mick Jagger said I can get no that's what he's saying to her keep sit down Rob you're not going to find satisfaction and suddenly the lights start coming on and she kind of thinks, oh, okay. So he's going down a different track. So I can also do that. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. 
we went to Hillsong conferences. We lift our hands up and clap. But you, Jews, claim that the place we must go to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, time is coming when you will worship the Father. And it won't be about whether you do it on this mountain or in that city. Uh, uh, he throws this in. You Samaritans worship what you do not know because they didn't claim to know God. But we worship what we do know. We claim to know who we worship. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time, yet. So yet is like, okay, can we put that behind us now? Yet. A time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and on truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. He doesn't just keep going around the mountain of a new argument. He says, woman, your problem is you're thirsty. You've been looking in all the wrong places. Let's not get derailed by this argument about the religious posture you should take in worship. Let me get back to your spirit that's crying for an authentic relationship with the living God. Let's get back to the real need, which is spirit-to-spirit -spirit worship. We weren't meant to just live in self-worship all the days of our lives. We weren't just meant to live in getting our, our acclamation and our satisfaction from self-adoration uh, and self-centered, egocentric, me, 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 I, me, and Irene type of philosophy. No, you were created to worship outwardly. And the, the highest and supreme object of your worship is God himself. And that's what God is looking for. My friend, until you know true intimate worship with God, you will never know the satisfaction that comes to the sons and daughters. Christianity is not just about being part of a club and ticking off the right doctrinal boxes. Christianity is not just about getting to church on Sunday and showing up and paying up and saying amen from time to time. Christianity is about the community of worshippers who love the presence of God, who love the glory of God, who love to spend time with Him. And occasionally we do it on Sundays when we get together and we lift up a praise. And then when the church throws in a Sunday night soaking meeting. And in the shower. And in your bedroom. And in your motor car on the way to work. You were created to be a worshiper. Deep, crying to deep. Verse 25, the woman says, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Jesus declares, I who speak to you am he. Beautiful. I'm going to jump through the next section because all that happens now is the disciples come back. They're probably a little bit surprised what Jesus is talking to the strange woman. And they say, don't worry, he'll be cheered up. You know, we've just been past KFC and McDonald's and got something. You know, yeah, Jesus, look, we've got food, we've got food. And he's like, guys, I know I was hungry. I know I was thirsty. I know I was tired. But when I get to talking about my father's business, I find a different satisfaction. Come on. You know, there's a tiredness that comes just by being tired. But there's a satisfaction that comes just by talking about Jesus. 
And there's a satisfaction in your soul that you were meant for. When you talk about him and when you tell stories about what he's done in your life and witness and, 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 and tittletale, tell stories about what Jesus is doing in people's lives. It's to bring you life. Jesus is in this conversation. He might even not had energy to start it, but now that he's in it, it's a bit like preaching some Sundays. I get the privilege of being up here to keep you awake for 30 minutes. And I know it's not always easy to sit through a message, although it's good for the soul. But I get, off, I get out of this and I'm like probably the most... Because it's such a joy to talk about Jesus and what He wants to do in people's lives. And I want to encourage you. He's going to bring opportunities to you. Don't hide behind, I'm too tired. Don't hide behind, I'm too shy. Don't be hand behind, I don't know enough. Just give what you got. It beats McDonald's and KFC. And he says to them, my food you guys don't get right now. You will after the cross. And then he tells them to pray that amazing prayer when he says the fields are ripe to harvest. The workers of few pray. And I don't want to go into the section. I think Gavin Cox did such a good job of it about a month back from this pulpit. If you didn't hear Gavin Cox on this scripture that goes after this, www.highway.org.za, Gavin Cox. Do yourself a favor. Best teaching I've heard on this passage. Let's jump down to verse 39. So he has this interaction with his disciples. Pray the Lord of the harvest, send out workers. And uh, then the story picks up afterwards, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testament. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Just look at this progression that has taken place. In verse 9, she calls him a Jew. Next point. In verse 12, she says, do you think you're greater than Jacob? In verse 19, she says, I perceive you're a prophet. In verse 25, she said, when the Messiah comes. In verse 26, he says, I am. I am. I am. And now in verse 42, they say, now we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. A lot of people know about Jesus the man and have got to come through sequential understanding and revelation that comes by the Spirit that Jesus is not just a good man. Jesus is not just one of the prophets. Do you know that Jesus is mentioned more in the Quran than Muhammad? 
And I was reminded the other night that the Muslims have a deep respect for the virgin-born prophet who will also come back one day. Yes, right there in the Quran. But Jesus is not just a prophet. He would have been a total deceiver and liar if he had claimed to be more than just a prophet by claiming that I am Messiah. I am Christ. If he had not said, but when I'm crucified, buried, and resurrected on the third day, you'll know what I've said is true. Witnessed by his disciples, 120, and then 5,000. Jesus is not just a prophet. And let's not just stop at Messiah as the one promised from God to take away the sins of the people because he's more than just the Messiah to the Jews. He is the Savior of the world. And this village of Samaritans, when they heard the witness of just that one person who was brave enough to go back and tell, can you see the impact of one person on many? Did you know that you are that one person in your life? Do you know that only you can live your life? Now I'm getting very deep now towards the end of my sermon. Do you know that only you can live your life? Only you are the salt and light exactly where you are right now. Nobody else can be that. If you weren't born, there would be a vacuum there. You are the salt and light where nobody else can be. And this woman hadn't been on a discipleship training course. She hadn't learned to memorize the New Testament. She hadn't first sat in church for five years to get all her doctrines straight. Bible says she went immediately back to tell them, could this be the Messiah? Those six questions that we walk through in a sequential way to bring the gospel. Those questions starting with, is, is there, do you believe there is a God? Okay? I, I, I bring this up in our conversation the other night, the one I don't want to mention on while we're recording. So I say, you know, the amazing thing in this conversation is that I, I want to share you, to tell you, I'm talking to this, this, this other young family. The, the, number one, it's amazing that between Judaism, Islam, and, and Christianity, we all agree on, on, on most of these things. Number one, that there's, there's, we believe there's a God. Two, we believe that that God cares about what's right and wrong. Do you care about, do you think God cares about what's right and wrong? Thirdly, does your life match up to his standard of what's right and wrong? No. 
to be honest. Four, should there be a consequence for right and wrong? Five, is there an eternal separation, a place called hell? And then six, is there something you could do to avoid going to hell or positively do to go to heaven? And on number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, Jews, Muslims, Christians all agree. Amazing. It's only when we come to this one. So now I'm holding this back in the conversation because this is my, this is my, uh, my, my, tr- <laughs> my hypothesis. We don't use that name when we talk to this particular couple. Is there anything you could do? Because yes, they believe in a God. Yes, they believe he cares about God. Yes, he believes that we, they believe we don't match up to his standard. Yes, they believe there should be a consequence. Yes, there's a place called hell and a place called heaven. What can you do to avoid? And immediately, what do you think the answer is? Well, if uh, we keep praying five times a day and we keep righteous, doing good things and behaving well, and we practice good manners. Good manners. Big. Good manners. And then I get my chance to speak. Which is, that is the one we would define. With all due respect. And I really do, in this situation, respect most lovely people. Growing very fond of them. Behave better than most Christians on it. Sorry, I didn't say that. <clears throat> I said, here's the difference. In the sixth one, as a Christian, we believe that our eternal destination is sealed in the fact that we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, who was crucified because we, he was made sin for our sin. He was resurrected. And now he has given us the gift of righteousness that we could never earn we could never be good enough to get because everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I said, even Jesus came to point this out to the very religious Jewish people of his day when he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. I said to them, do you believe anyone's done that perfectly? They had enough sense to say no. I speak to some Christians and go, yes. I say, you know, Jesus was so concerned about the law, the law, yes, the law, that he said, if you look on a woman with, a, with lustful thoughts or covetous thoughts, you've committed adultery. And they nod. I said, if you get so angry with someone, you wouldn't mind if they just got killed. You've, you've murdered them in your heart. Yes, they even agreed to that. If you take something that doesn't belong to you, you should chop your hands off. Yes. I said, so Jesus came to show that not one will make it. Hello? Not one will make it. And that's why Jesus had to take on the sins of the earth, on the cross, 
I don't really want to get onto the subject of deity and get into arguments about the Trinity. And I, Jesus took the sins of the world as the Lamb of God, the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament, Yeshua, the one you know about. He was crucified. Do you, does the Quran teach that? Yes, it does. Crucified on a cross for our sins. The raising from the dead is where the lights don't come on anymore. One person, one person. Are you that one person sitting here this morning? You believe there's a God. You believe he's righteous. You believe there's eternal consequence. But you've put your faith in what you do and not in what Jesus has done. Can I pray with you right now?